And we're talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. And before I introduce you to my special guest this week, uh, a shout-out, a happy birthday. Ashley, you know whose birthday is today? I know it's one of our team members' birthdays today. <laughs> yes, it is. It is Ben Rose's birthday today. Happy birthday, Ben. Ben has another show. Uh, ben, on our earlier show, sat in Ashley's seat and has since uh, just takes care of other stuff in the office. But in any case, a special happy birthday to Ben. His show is on a on the Arts, I think, channel. Yes, the uh, Arts and Entertainment channel. Yes, he's Motor City Juke Joint, and he's a great guy. Check him out. But now... We are back from the Passover holiday. Welcome back. Sorry, we missed you all last week. Couldn't come in last week. And I am joined by Rob Roth. Rob, how are you today? Baruch Hashem, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, I am so glad you came. I um, Interesting, I um, in a couple weeks from now, there's actually an APEC event, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. And I had sent an email to um, whoever sends me all of APEC's email stuff, um, Abraham Zander, is that his name? I don't remember. Something like that. Yes. So he said he can't come, but he said he'll get me somebody. And little did I know, someone that I actually know a little bit, Rob Roth is here for us, greatly appreciated. How was Pesach? Pesach was great. It was great. Did you have enough matzah? Too much matzah, of course, as usual, every year. And not not uh, unhappy that it's over. Not <laughs> unhappy it's over. It's a happy holiday. It's a... Kids, family, friends. You were by friends, I know, for the uh, for the Seder both nights in Southfield. It's a it's a beautiful time. It's just the uh, the weather was a little chilly. Too cold. Too yeah. cold. Even though the holiday is called the holiday of spring, you would never know it here in Michigan. That's for sure. But of course, my mother in New York had snow. We at least just had cold weather. So I think <laughs> spring and fall are done. I think it's winter, summer which you can decide if you like that. I, I happen to like spring and fall. I just haven't experienced too much of it. But uh, certainly we're going to spend, not in this segment, but in the next segment, we're going to take a lot of time. Rob is going to help us out to understand what APAC is. For those of you who are not familiar with what they do, they are an amazing organization, how they're structured, how they work, what they accomplish. And even though the last part of the name is PAC, A-I-P-A-C, but it's not a pack like you imagine. Actually, as the acronym is completely different, we'll spend time in the second segment talking about that. Today we got to talk about, we got to wrap up Passover. Okay. We got to talk about the upcoming holiday, the Shavuot or Shavuos or Pentecost holiday. Um, yesterday was the end of Passover. Talk about the splitting of the Red Sea. We actually, so many things happening. We're in a special, almost a sad period between Passover and Shavuos where uh, many thousands of Rabbi Akiva's students, we'll talk about him, his students died and why they died and what happened. Um, All that good stuff, plus uh, our word of the week. We have a letter of the week we do each week. We have our word of the week, all kinds of stuff. But interesting enough, today has a special name. Do you know what that name is, Rob? Isruchag. Isruchag, very yeah. good. Do you know what it means? It's a. It doesn't translate well. Kind of a, kind of a reluctance to let the holiday leave, and so they add an additional Chag day. Basically, very good. Yeah, nobody likes to leave the holiday. Certainly in schools, by the way, it almost become automatic that it's an extra vacation day. 
Okay, today is Sunday, so we're not working today. But if today would be Tuesday, the day after the holiday, most of us go back to work. Somehow schools get all the extra vacation days. I can always tell driving down the highway, 696, you always know when the public schools are off because the highway empties out. Miss those days. You miss those days. What, going to school or driving down 696? Having the extra days off. Having the extra days off. (laughs) Actually, talking about potholes and in trending news, we like trending news. This one I don't think has too much to do with Torah, but I just read in Turkey, they actually have a special pothole machine. You hear about this? Nope. Now, this is fantastic. They must have this humongous vehicle that drives down the highway, cuts out wherever there's a pothole, has a special chemical material that puts in and expands, and by the time it leaves, it's flat and repaired, and the roads are fantastic, and they claim that it's way cheaper than having our guys shovel asphalt and who knows what. It's a... It's tough driving down these roads. But that 696, they did some repairs, not so terrible. But back to the word isruchag. It's actually from the word osar, which means to tie. So you're really right. It's like a rope that we connect one more day to the holiday. Perhaps people who brought sacrifices on the last day of the holiday would still stay in Jerusalem to eat that sacrifice. So that's, um, that's this Isruchag, which really leads us into something else that we were, we were talking about before. And that is, um, again, I saw very interesting. We talked about it. There is a rabbi in Israel. I, his name is written down in my papers, but I can't read so good. Um, he is actually in charge of King David's tomb. I think I'm pronouncing it right. And he says that the fact that Trump has recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel is, is almost, he says that could be the lead in to the building of the third temple. And even though in my mind, um, just like when we left Egypt, it wasn't Pharaoh who did us any favors. It was Moses who uh, took us out, or really God took us out through Moses. But he brings down sources that say that the third temple the non-Jews will be involved in building the third temple. So he says it could be. And I'm getting a smile. you have any thoughts on that, Rabbi? I got a giggle. I don't know what's better. Well, let me just say uh, that I think you can find sources for all sorts of things, depending on your uh, what your objective is, number one. Number two, with my APAC hat on today, I don't want to uh, delve into any political um, opinions cool on that side me neither i'm not a, i wasn't really even looking at the politics, politics of it i was just looking at it as in my i don't know if the word imagination is the right word yeah. but i guess in my upbringing in my schooling in my thought process the process of building the third temple will be completely jewish that's what i always wanted to think so now this rabbi says maybe not but as you said, there's sources here. That source, unfortunately, the they quote that there exists such a source. I, I yeah. didn't have time to research it enough. And there were no footnotes on the article, which is a little bit uh, problematic, but so it goes. We'll let HaKadosh Baruch decide that, and then we'll analyze it after the fact, I think. And I tell my kids <laughs> all the time. I do tell them that. They say, so what's going to happen? And I mean, in class, they do this all the time to me. So when the Messiah comes or when this happens, when that happens, what's going to be? I say, these are really good questions. 
let's just wait and see. And when it happens, we'll have a very good answer. But some things are just uh, beyond. We're not, uh, not going to find out any... Well, we hope to find out soon. But from just our sources, that's going to be a little tough. Yeah. Well, you know, by the way, I get a Mazel Tov. No. You wouldn't know. Um, I had a grandson's circumcision over Passover. I had one right before Pesach. Really? Yes. Grandson. Grandson. Very nice. Yes. Did yeah. you, were you the Sandic? You held the baby? Me too. Never did it before. You ever do it before? Yes, once before. Oh, you are, you are just way ahead of me. Because you have a few more gray hairs. You must be a little older. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You're Still very, have the hair, though. Yes, unlike me. Yes, okay, fair is fair. I accept. Uh, so we were discussing, you know, the, when the Jewish people left Egypt, before they ate from their Passover sacrifice, they were required to have a circumcision. It was required. You, could, you cannot eat the Passover sacrifice without being circumcised. That's the law. So, um, and the question is, will it affect a child that's going to have a circumcision during Passover? Will that affect the father? In this case, not, because he couldn't have his circumcision the first day of Passover. He's too little. He had to be eight days old. So, but what is the connection? You ever think about it? In other words, we know, we, we, we say it in the Haggadah, we talk about that verse that uh, God saw the blood and the blood of the sacrifice and the blood of the circumcision, and it says it mixed, whatever that means. What, what connection could there be? I mean, they're both laws from God, that's fine, but what, what would be a connection between circumcision and a Passover sacrifice? I thought you were asking me to come to talk about Apex. So off the top of I my head. I told you, that's the next yeah, segment. Now like we're just going to study. Me. See, that's so much fun. Yeah, for you. You're gonna, for you. Don't worry. <laughs> the, the tables will turn once once we move to Apex. Trust me. Good. Well, off the top of my head, I would say that the necessity for the circumcision of all of those people who came out of Mitzrayim was because there were many births during sure. those 40 years, and they didn't circumcise them during that time period. So before actually entering the land, they had to be circumcised. circumcised. Right, we're gonna, let's so that's the... Okay, I'm gonna back you, back you up a yeah. little bit. There's two times, you're, you're, there's yeah. in confusing the... Uh, two? Yeah, you're yeah. confusing yeah. two times, but you're really yeah. right with both. Okay. And it was when Joshua goes into Israel, yeah. they have to all be recircumcised. Because in the desert, it was too dangerous. So those 40 right. years, they didn't get circumcised. But That's, all those years in Egypt, they also weren't circumcised. So before they actually came out. So you are saying that they needed to be circumcised just as a necessity to enter the land of Israel, which is fascinating. However, there's got to be a better connection because both Joshua's time, they were circumcised right before they brought a Passover sacrifice. And here in Egypt, they were circumcised right before they brought a Passover sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So I saw a very interesting answer, actually by the meal. It was just family, because who's eating and coming and going? So after the circumcision on Wednesday, so my kids were there, my son-in-law is there, his mother came in, some of his brother-in-laws came in. It was just family. He got up to speak. Pretty standard Jewish thing. People like to get up and talk. So um, he starts out saying in his speech, a beautiful speech, but he starts out saying, I'm not sure what Passover and circumcision have to do with each other, but I know they're connected. 
So then when he finished, I said, You got up. I'll tell you an answer. Yeah, right. That's what I do. So both circumcision and the Passover sacrifice have something in common. And that is both are not natural. In other words, you're in Egypt. The Passover sacrifice is a sheep. Happens to be the idol of Egypt. So to go ahead and take their idol and slaughter it and barbecue it is a dangerous thing. You know, it's a, you wouldn't just voluntarily go ahead and say, oh, I think I'm going to go have some uh, lamb chops in Egypt. It's almost like in India, you know, wanting steak. Right? There's certain things that are not always such a good idea. So you could have a lot of angry Egyptians. Even circumcision, even though now with hospitals and it's sort of, you know, there's the ebb and flow. Sometimes they say it's healthy. Sometimes they say it's not healthy. But certainly in those days, it wasn't natural to go ahead and circumcise a child. It was dangerous. Right? We have all our antibiotics and our, and our sharp knives and stuff. The Torah talks about Sephora using a stone. Right? So it wasn't so safe. So these are two things that we're doing that are unnatural. Why did we need to do two unnatural things? Because leaving Egypt was also unnatural, or better called miraculous. So if we're telling God we need miracles for you to get us out of here, which is a major part of the Haggadah, of the Seder conversation, that we're saying, God, we need a miracle to get us out of here. So God says, no problem. But you got to show me that you'll also do something that's unnatural. So the circumcision is unnatural and the Passover sacrifice is unnatural. So by you, by the Jewish people showing we're willing to go, I guess, out of our comfort zone, so God says, no problem. Now Under, do a miracle. Understatement, comfort zone. Well, yeah, well, you know, we're trying to say it in the, in the gentlest way possible. But yeah, that's really, that's really what's going on. So, we, um, so that was what I said, and then I said something nice about my son-in-law, and, you know, because we want them to come back and visit. So we're all very friendly and, uh, and very nice to everybody. So um, with a few minutes left in this segment, I wanted just to touch upon the, uh, the Red Sea, the splitting of the Red Sea. I was actually looking for pictures. I, I couldn't find anything I liked. It's everybody's imagination. So we actually travel. We had told the Pharaoh we were going to travel for three days. We travel for three days, and then we turn around and go back towards the Red Sea. The Egyptians here were not going straight into the desert. We're coming back towards the sea, and the Pharaoh says the most amazing uh, concept. Um, Rob, don't worry. I think Ashley is talking to you. Okay, sorry. Oh, okay. Got it. I didn't know what you wanted, but now we know. If we talk loud, then these mics pick us up. In any case... The Pharaoh says, I mean, if you can imagine such a statement, he says, why did we let the Jewish people go? In other words, we've had slaves all these years, and he forgets that his country's been destroyed and demolished and decimated. A lot of good deeds there. And the Jewish people are out, and now that they're gone more than three days, the Pharaoh says, why do we let them go? We got to go kill them. So the, the Egyptian army gets together and the populace gets together and they're out chasing after the Jewish people who are camped by the Red Sea. So God, the army gets close. The cloud that's protecting them separates the Egyptian army and the Jewish people. And um, 
And now something interesting happens. As Jews, we always pray. We're used to praying if we need something, somebody who is sick or a salvation, we, we pray. It's one of the things we do. And Moses is praying to protect us from the Egyptians. So you know what God says to Moses? I'm going to help you. God says, now is not the time for prayer. Mm-hmm. Now is the time for action. So people think that the water just split and we walked in. It's not true. First, we had to start marching in. Get our pants wet, get our shirts wet. And after we showed we're marching in because God said so, then it split. It split into actually 12 tunnels. Each tribe had their own tunnel. Clear glass. See, I'm teaching you new stuff. You got to come. Where did the t- tunnel stuff come from? That's not a, a source I've heard before. But Well, there's a source for everything. But it happens to be a Yeah, it yeah. has to be a Yeah. Don't worry. I'm, I'm loaded yeah. with those. I, uh, I had a book that one of my daughters was reading. And she's coming back to me asking me different questions of things that I wasn't so familiar with. So they have these 12 tunnels. We're going through the tunnels. The ground is, is rock hard like marble. We can get water. We can get plants. We can get fruit. We march through. And amazingly enough, the Egyptians see this miracle and they march on. It reminds me, remember a, a cartoon as a kid, um, um, Roadrunner? Sure. One of my favorite. So... They're telling me we're getting close to yeah. our uh, our uh, our break. Let's uh, we'll pick it up and hear about the tunnels in a second. You're listening to Let's Talk Torah on News Radio Media with Rabbi Tzvi, and we'll be right back. Want to stay informed, entertained, and enlightened? Get connected and stay connected today to New Radio Media. The new Radio Media app is now available for download in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just search for NRM Streams for unlimited access to archived, live, new, exciting, and unique content. Welcome to Geektainment Weekly. All for free. Do it now. Stay connected. And millions of ducks. Two guys go to newradiomedia.com. The Arts and Entertainment Channel on New Radio Media. Dot com. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. It's the simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. And the things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live.
back as I'm watching Ashley make a face at her computer. But in any case, just to finish my, now that I know that Rob grew up watching Wiley, Coyote, and Roadrunner. Um, so if for those my age, if you're not my age, it was one of the earlier cartoons. So the Coyote was always looking for ways to capture the Roadrunner and, of course, was never successful. So the Roadrunner, without fail in each show, or maybe it was the same show I saw a thousand times, would run off the cliff. And then the coyote, of course, would follow him, because if the roadrunner can run off the cliff, why can't I? And then the roadrunner stepped back on the cliff, and the coyote fell, I don't know, how many thousand feet in the cartoon. You remember it well. And that's how I imagine the Egyptians following the Jewish people into mm-hmm. the sea. The Jews come out. Um, God has the sea collapse on them, wipes out the army. And that's what we're celebrating the last day of Passover. So, but... We brought Rob in to learn all about APEC today. We're going to learn about APEC. That's the goal. Well, it's actually a good transition because we conceive of ourselves in in a way of saving or allowing Israel to defend itself for its own, uh, obvious preservation. So there's there's somewhat of a Kesher there. Oh, thank you. So let's start first. What, what, What does APEC stand for? Okay, as you alluded to earlier, APEC is an acronym. Uh, that stands for the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. And it was just by happenstance that that was the name decided by the founder, Cy Kennan, back in the 50s. And, uh, but the confusion stems from the fact that PACs we know of today are political action committees. APEC is not a political action committee, but our organization was founded prior to the advent of PACs. So it just became um, a confusing um, issue later on that didn't exist when we were founded. Uh, and the ECAR there is that uh, APAC, if you're a member of APAC, contribute to APAC, monies that go to APAC are not, it's not for a PAC, it does not go directly to support any candidates, any politicians. So that's a huge uh, distinction that people should be aware of. Okay, that's a good start. So it's not a PAC, but it is a lobbying organization. Well, that's exactly what we are. We are an American lobby organization. And the purpose of APAC is to lobby the 535 members of Congress, the 100 senators, the 435 members of the House of Representatives, um, on the issues that... uh, we believe would promote a very tight security alliance between the United States of America and the state of Israel for mutually beneficial purposes. We believe that as Americans that this benefits the United States uh, as much as it does the state of Israel. But the, uh, the core mission of APAC in lobbying Congress is to uh, affect and promote legislation which goes to the heart of allowing Israel to defend itself by itself. And that's a key uh, appendage to that statement. Uh, We're not American lobby urging America to go fight Israel's uh, battles for it, but to enable it to be able to fight it for itself by itself. So in what way is, uh, uh, is America enabling, if we'll use that word, well, it, it evolved over time, of course, but um, 
in the first part of Israel's existence. We're going to be 70 years old, <clears throat> coming up very quickly. I'm going to Israel uh, next week for Yom Atzmaut. Happy birthday! Happy birthday. And it's a big, big number, but uh, maybe many people don't realize or remember that the initial decade or more of Israel's existence in the United States was not a, a supporter of the state of Israel in, in any um, substantive way in terms of arms for sure. Eisenhower blockaded any arms to the state of Israel. Uh, remember the 56 Sinai campaign, Eisenhower was not happy, made Britain, France, and Israel pull out of that endeavor. Uh, the first actual support came from Kennedy with some missile or with some uh, defensive batteries, but the first substantive uh, support came after the '73 war, where uh, Nixon. Um, it was like an airlift, right? It was a major thing. It, you know, people will recall that that we were really on the brink of of destruction after the first week when the surprise offensive by Egypt, Syria. Uh, not prepared for that, and uh, we lost a lot of material and, of course, men in that first week, and Golda made some frantic calls. Um, actually, Max Fisher, Zichron Ali from Detroit, who was the Jewish guy to the Republican Party and to all Republican presidents, was instrumental in getting through to Nixon of the urgency of this, and uh, and that's when the first major airlifts of arms came. And as a result, to qualify that uh, occurrence, um, there was a r ramped up effort by APAC to to have an ongoing security military assistance. Initially, took in the form of loans, and then later came in the form of grants. First ones were rather modest. Um, we're very proud to say that in the present budget year. Um, there will be three point one billion with a B dollars. That's a good number. Of military you can buy a lot assistance. of airplanes and tanks with that. And um, importantly, another seven hundred million on top of that to for missile defense tech, uh, technology research development. The dome and all that stuff. Yeah, which we'll get into maybe a little bit more. But um, so that's that's the really the bedrock core key legislation that we that we developed over many, many years. It took uh, a lot of, doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen by itself. And what your listeners should really understand is the way that happens is truly by developing personal relationships. And that's what I wanted to ask you. That's yes. what I wanted to, that's the next point, that APEC as a lobbying organization is quite different. than When, when people hear about lobbyists, they imagine some high-paid personality, yeah. knocking on doors in Congress. That's not how APEC does it. No, it's, very, it's really quite unique, and it's quite unique from the standpoint of the representatives themselves. And why we have a lot of credibility is because we're going to lobby about something that, has nothing, that doesn't benefit us. And they are astonished by that because every other lobbyist that comes to them has a self-interest, either you know for their own particular cause. Um, you think of you know any number of them. But that's not what we're there to lobby them for. We're there, there to lobby to promote legislation that helps uh, the two countries have a relationship, which really has the practical result of Israel being able to defend itself. Now, the truth of the matter is, after all this time, 
those monies and what is developed out of that comes back to and to the benefit of the United States in very significant ways. Through the technology itself, much of it is developed in, in Israel. I can name you a laundry list of them. But, uh, for instance, the Iron Dome itself and it's the, the most uh, obvious uh, example. Just in case people mm. don't know, and as we've heard, you, know, you hear every once in a while on the news, they have these missile tests over California and stuff, and then they say, oops, our missile missed. So it didn't go well. What is the Iron Dome exactly? Iron Dome, look, there's For three, lay people like me, not the technical stuff. The need, of course, everything in Israel comes out of a need, a necessity. You know, it's the invention that comes out of a necessity. And, and Israel has unique ability to react and think creatively and out of the box about an array of, of issues, um, which is why it's the uh, startup nation, et cetera. So the threat at the time that, that um, triggered the development of the Iron Dome was, was the rockets coming out of Gaza, um, short trajectories. And there was no technology to be able to knock out a, a rocket which is a rather rudimentary device. It's not accurate in terms of where it hits, but it can do damage if it hits something. So, and then there are numbers that you have to deal with. So when that threat exists, uh, became apparent, um, Israel reacts by trying to deter it and eliminate it. There was no technology to knock out a rocket of that short trajectory from Gaza into Israel. So we had to do the research and development from a scientific standpoint um, and a way to convince people to, to fund it. It's a lot of money. Um, and, and APAC actually went into uh, gear to lobby to fund that research and development. Now, our audience may recall that in the last Gaza war where Iron Dome was actually deployed literally days before the war started. Good timing. It was for sure propitious timing. It saved many, many hundreds, if not thousands of Israeli lives, but this didn't happen overnight. That all that research and development had to take place for years prior to that. Scientists in America thought that couldn't be done because you really, the, the physics of it is shooting like a bullet out of the sky with a bullet. And they said, right. this doesn't exist. And um, th that was developed. It was funded by uh, America through the Congress at the behest of lobbying by APAC. And this is the, one of the clear examples of where the work that we do uh, can be exemplified by real, obvious, objective result in saving Israeli lives, literally. Amazing. And we're... <laughs> up against our break, yes. and you still didn't help me out and tell me exactly how APEC works, Sorry. which we're going to get to. And we got to talk some freedom. Um, what's called freedom? We just finished the holiday of freedom, so Rob, we're going to let you bring us into our break again. Okay, I'm going to explain some other key aspects of APEC that I haven't talked about yet that you should understand, but uh, we're going to go to break now. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. We'll be right back. Guys, wait up. Hold on. Daddy said hold on. You know, I was thinking, Bill, yeah. I'm ready for our show, and, and you're ready for mm -hmm. the show, but how do we let everyone know that we're ready for the show? Uh, slow motion rap video?
brain naturally shrinks as you go older. Now there's research that indicates that the rate of shrinkage increases if you drink alcohol. Your brain volume naturally decreases by about 2% for every decade you live. And in the past, scientists have speculated this rate could be slowed with moderate alcohol intake because it appears to improve your heart function and your blood flow. But now, however, the U.S. researchers have found what they call a significant negative relationship between the amount of alcohol that you consume and your brain volume. A study involving nearly 2,000 men and women found a significant difference in the brain volumes of people who were moderate drinkers and those who were teetotalers. And the association was especially strong in women. So the bottom line, say the experts, is that while moderate alcohol consumption may help your heart and blood flow, it offers no protective effect on your brain volume. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. Ah, low budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version here. I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on NewRadioMedia.com. <coughs> it's geek approved. Okay, we're back, and we're trying to get through everything <laughs> Rob wants to talk about. And we got to talk freedom. Remember, Passover is the holiday of freedom. And after Rob finishes telling you everything about APEC, everything. well, yeah. whatever I give him time for, right? Um, we have to still discuss what is free. Um, there's some interesting trending news we want to get to that may involve what we've been discussing. But um, I really want to focus on, on a few points uh, about APEC. Yes. And and the first one is, you know, we, we live, I don't want to say in a in a poisonous atmosphere, but things are so you difficult. Can you can All say right, it. You can say it. All right, I said poisonous. Yes. You know, that's why I don't do politics. No matter what you say, you made half the people angry, and you got them really angry. So an organization like, like APEC, which is not a PAC, which we clarified, so they're not political per se. They're just building that American-Israeli relationship um, so as we talk about the Iron Dome and things, we can work together. Um, if people were to say to you um, that APEC is obviously Republican or obviously Democrat, what would you tell them? So this is this is one of the ongoing. Uh, it's more than an annoyance, but a problem in terms of how people view us and don't understand us. And it, if if one if I get one thing across to anybody and the listener today, it's this: APEC is a nonpartisan a nonpartisan organization, a lobby. We are concerned about the continued existence of the state of Israel on a very fundamental level. We do not see this issue as partisan in any way. There's no reason why the Democrats or Republicans or independents or unaffiliated who are supporters of the state of Israel, um, anything by their ideology or party principles that would be uh, ant antithetical to that. So. And we cannot accomplish the purpose of what APEC does without both parties supporting that legislation. So we assiduously uh, uh, do what we do in a nonpartisan way. 
We, hey, we, you know, I'm going to jump and, in. And, and, I got to make sure you're going to get it straight. You yes. told me really wonderfully before, yes. one of the things APEC does is they take all the freshman congressmen Correct. to Israel. And when you were explaining it to me, it was clear that it was nonpartisan. Could you say that over again? Sure. In the next number of cycles going back, I can't tell you exactly what year it was, we started making it a practice. There's another organization called the AIEF, the American Israel Education Fund. And um, the resources that are contributed to that literally sponsor trips to Israel to, to show, I mean, it's the best way to to gain advocates for the state of even people who are advocates and they go and they say, oh my God, you know, they don't understand the actual reality there because of the, the distances and the threats that, are, that exist on all the borders. As part of those missions, and we take different leadership groups of all kinds, Congress is the key, the key one, and there was a practice that was started to take incoming freshmen, people newly elected to the Congress, APEC takes it upon themselves to sponsor them to go to Israel. Steny Hoyer, who's the minority whip now, who's the majority whip under, you know, when the Democrats were majority, um, uh, from, Mer I should know this, in Delaware or Maryland, I'm sorry, um, leads that trip for the Democrats, and McCartney, for, on the Republican side, leads it for the Republicans, but they coast, but they go together. They, they co-lead it. So they share the buses. They share the buses, they huh. come, and they, and they literally spend time together and are, under the same um, roof. Uh, roof and, uh, and APAC uh, personnel and staff that leads them through this. And, um, and it's, a critical, it's a critical effort on behalf of APAC. I think there's a major percentage of the Congress itself has been to Israel through under the auspices of the AIEF. And, uh, and this is something that happens um, every cycle. Uh, as an addendum to that, we have made it a, a uh, uh, part of our strategic plan implementing is to do what we call outreach. So while APAC initially started as obviously primarily a Jewish organization, it is no longer a Jewish organization. It really is um, across the political spectrum as well as uh, the diversity that American represents. So we about 10 years ago started outreach to the African American community evangelical community, the Hispanic community, and more recently the progressive community because there are issues on the left with, uh, in the, in the, what I would call the, the far left, maybe not so far anymore, of um, issues with regard to support for the state of Israel that didn't exist before. So we're trying to have liberal supporters of APAC, our own members and supporters, engage them to to attempt to educate them that there's nothing liberal or conservative or in between about the issues that we deal with and nothing against those principles. At the last PC, for instance, Jennifer Granholm, former sure. Democratic mayor, I mean, a governor, came and gave a presentation and you thought you would have been at a Democratic liberal convention because she's got through all her issues and she's extolling Israel as, as exhibiting, exemplifying many of those liberal issues, um, and the Republicans were, f were fine with it. You get the Republicans coming up and doing exactly the same thing or on the same stage, same panels, right and left, because it's not really a partisan issue at all. So if you could figure out to convince the rest of the country 
for not the rest of the country, but just everything else to work the same way. You know, well, it, it's it, interesting because we have found ourselves in this hyper-partisan era, being literally the the venue or the or the interlocutor for the Republicans and Democrats, the staff even to to come through us to um, to talk about other issues. It's it's a sad truth, but at least it's a it's an un unintended uh, consequence of what we do. I do want to point out one other thing, Please. which you got out before. I mean, it really is a relationship thing. I have a relationship with a close congress, uh, congressman, Mike Bishop in my case, in Rochester for reasons, uh, Gary Peters and, and Dip Stabenow, well, but others as well. And <clears throat> we talk to them, we know them, we can call them, and when we lobby, it's not just at the PC time when we have our convention. I'm a member of the National Council as well. I'm going in uh, the beginning of May, and there are 300 of the leaders of, the, of APAC. They go and they lobby also at that point in time, and there are several other times on the calendar. Why we're effective is because we just tell them facts, and we don't, we really don't, we, we lay it out the way it is, it's, and they can check us, fact check us, do everything they want. But the reason why we're effective is because they've seen that we've been credible in our presentations. The Iran nuclear fight was, was an obvious uh, major, major uh, effort. Um, and we won't get into analyzing whether that was a, a you know, so-called failure or, or whatever. But the actual sanctions people should understand of, against Iran and the nuclear issue was, was the genesis of that was APAC 20 Twenty plus years ago, we're looking to the head of what the threats to the state of to the state of Israel. We saw that on the horizon. We started educating Congress twenty years ago. The initial legislation was drafted by APAC policy make policy creators, and and that was an ongoing effort to educate them about that threat. And it came to a head under the Obama administration, as you saw it play out. So it's an it's it's an example also of how we do what we do. I mean, there's such a humongous turnover now. You just hear in the news all the congressmen that are that are done are in some of the states they well, have. That, that's uh, a great point, Rabbi, and that's that's another one that puts a big onus on us that's different from before, because in the old days you'll remember when I was a kid, you had chairman of the major committees, whether it was military, you know, armed services or appropriations or the budget. These people were in their chairmanships for decades. And so you had a relationship with them, you, you could impact them. But the turnover now is just unbelievable. Since 2008, 60 or 70% of the Congress has turned over, which means that one of the things that we have to do is stay ahead of the curve. We try to identify ahead of time who's running in every district in the United States, vet them, try to find out what their positions are on Israel, and depending on who wins, then they're already introduced to us and and our issues. So you have relationships on. That's, well, that's a lot of it's a yeah, lot of research, right. a lot of work. Yeah, and I'll give you just one example of how this was effective. There was a mayor outside of Cleveland, a black mayor in a black city. Um, and the, the representative from Cleveland was a black woman. The black woman suddenly died of a stroke. Before that occurred, we had taken this mayor on a trip on AIEF to Israel. Just she was identified as as a potential future whatever. So that was two years ahead of the un, unfortunate demise of this congresswoman, 
This mayor became the congresswoman from Cleveland. She then became the chairman of the Black Caucus in Congress. Wow. And as, as somebody who was already familiar and a supporter of the state of Israel through the process of, of what APAC does on a day-to-day basis, she then took it upon herself to take eight members of the Black Caucus on a trip that she led to Israel under APAC, four of whom were not friends of the state of Israel. Um, but after the trip? After the trip, they all came back as supporters of the state of Israel. Amazing. So this is the kind, it's, it's an example, but it's not a unique example, actually, of, of things that have happened across the country. And, and we're in every, every district, whether there are clearly, there are no Jews in, in most districts around the country. So it really is a, um, an issue that we believe is for the benefit of the United States of America. And there are lots of sources where this goes back to the beginning of our country as well, that the importance of a, of a Jewish homeland. The home of the free and the brave, for those who have baseball teams that are doing well right now. Um, before, we'll talk about free soon, Yes. but uh, I, I, I did tell you, and we, we have it down, there is actually an APEC event yeah. coming up in about two weeks. If you could let everybody know yeah. when that event is, if they need to contact anyone, how do they do that? I appreciate that very much. Uh, the Michigan annual event is April the 22nd, April the 22nd, Sunday at 6 o'clock at the Suburban Collection of Novi, um, so off of Novi and 696. Um, and we are quite honored to have as Speaker General Petraeus, who's, who's really uh, quite um, a name um, and an American hero, really, in the truest sense of the word, that term is a little bit overused, I think, these days, but he actually exemplifies it. He, as you will recall, he actually led the 101st Airborne in the original Iraq invasion. He then later on, under George W., uh, led the surge in 2006, became the commander of all Iraq forces, uh, American forces in Iraq, and then Afghanistan, and then CENTCOM. He was the head of CENTCOM, which was military commander for all that part of the world. And then after that, he became director of the CIA for about a year uh, under President Obama. So he's, uh, he's quite uh, a military uh, He know, should know what's going on in the world. He knows what's going on. He's what responsible for that. So we are very fortunate to have him come be our speaker. Do you have a phone number there if somebody wants to call in? Thank you. 312-253-8988. 312 312- Two five three eight nine eight eight. It's going to be quite an event, and I urge you to attend. Great, and I am planning on it, and hopefully many of my friends will be there. Hopefully people listening will be there. I'll say hello. I'm talking about freedom. I know we threw in freedom. Passover is the holiday of freedom. And we're going to have one more segment left. Not so much time in our last mm-hmm. segment. We're going to try to talk about freedom. What is freedom? Uh, maybe we'll get into Rabbi Akiva's students, and of course we have to get into uh, our word of the week, very important. Um, but if you could take us into the break sure. again. We'll get to those issues that the rabbi just stated. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Radio. Uh, Let's Talk Torah. We'll be right back. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. 
Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. Well, you gotta know the whole story. There we La go. <laughs> okay, we're gonna work on when we come in on that song from Fiddler on the Roof. But okay, life is what it's all about. Um, as we want to get through a couple things, as we're uh, we got just a few minutes left to the show. It's about freedom. So first, I'm gonna give you a trending news story about freedom. I don't know if that's freedom. Um, I don't know what kind of car you drive, but I once had a friend in here who drives a Mustang, a different friend of mine by the name of Steve. He sat with us one time. Um, so this must have taken place in Colorado. You know, I tell people all the time, my news is the important news. All the other stuff is not so important. This is important. So on one of these straight Colorado roads, uh, some Mustang was flying down the highway and the cops pulled behind them. And at 140, they were okay. Once the guy got to 150, um, they couldn't keep up with him, and it seems they couldn't get his license plate number. Now, I'm not sure if that's what freedom is, that you were able to outrun the cops. In my days, the joke always was that you try to outrun the cops, and then there's a helicopter flying over your head, and you can't outrun helicopters. Now it's a drone. Or drones. But obviously, this police department didn't have. I don't know if that's what I call freedom. But Passover is the holiday of freedom. What? What is freedom? When you think of, and we've been talking about what APEC does, so, but Rob, in your mind, what is freedom? Well, freedom is the exercise of free, your free will. Hashem gave us free will. Um, it was the core uh, element of, of his creation of humanity. And, of course, you have the Yetzir Haran, Yetzir Tov, and so we have the free will to do good things or bad things. Um, but I think specifically in terms of Yitziat Mitzrayim, it wasn't just to be free in the sense that we think of it in an American way to do what we want. We actually had to go get the Torah and receive this way of life, which entails chiyuv, which obligatory behavior. So it's kind of a contradiction in terms of an American concept of freedom. 
um, and then the freedom to take that on and and then enter Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Canaan. Very good. Now I'm just going to have to translate all the words you threw out there in one sentence. You're like the second person who came in and kept throwing out Hebrew phrases so off the cuff, and I forgot to translate. But yes, it wasn't just we were free that we were no longer slaves, because we go into the desert and God says, now you're my slaves. Now you, I don't want to say work for me, but now you belong to me. Freedom is not that I can outrun the cop. Freedom is not that I'm not a slave. Freedom is that I am free to serve God is really what's going on. And my evil inclination, his goal is to stop me from serving God. So if I completely follow my evil inclination, I'm not free because I'm doing whatever that evil inclination tells me to do. When I am free, I am free to really make the right choices which is really what freedom means. It's not how hard I'm working or who I'm working for. That's not, that's not freedom. Freedom is internal. And someone who serves God and is free, he is free to make choices, and hopefully he's free to make the right choices. And that's what the Passover holiday is about. But as uh, Rob is alluding to, it's not the end of the trip because we have Passover, and we actually... Now, on the second day of Passover, we started counting. We actually count up. We're going to count 49 days. And day 50 will be the Shavuot, or the Pentecost holiday. And it's interesting. It's, I don't want to say it's the only holiday. There's actually three. Um, but it's the, the other major holiday that is not calendar-based. In other words, the seventh or eighth day of Passover is not a calendar day. The first day of Passover is a calendar day. And then seven days later, we have the end of Passover. And the Sukkot holiday is a calendar holiday. And the eighth day of Sukkot, it's not Sukkot anymore, um, is also not a calendar holiday. But those are, seem to all be connected. But the Shavuot holiday technically is not based on the calendar. You're just counting. So the way Jewish months work, it should be possible that on the calendar it would come out to be different days. However, the rabbis worked it out that it's not. But it is not a calendar holiday. And I, I know that I'm not going to have uh, all the time I wanted to get into, maybe we'll do it next week, talk about uh, Rabbi Akiva and his students. Rabbi Akiva is going to have 24,000 students that will die. And the reason they're going to pass away is because they didn't have proper respect for each other. And we're going to spend more time in the coming weeks to, you know, developing that idea. But it did remind me of another piece of trending news. Um, have you ever heard of the word flubbing? Spelled P-H, by the way. No. Ashton never heard of it. Dwayne never heard of it. Not Dwayne. Drew. Drew ne- Dwayne also never heard of it. Drew didn't hear of it. You didn't hear of it. Flubbing actually means, it's fantastic. Flubbing means, I don't know if anybody's ever done this to you. They do it to me all the time. Um, you're talking and having a conversation, and a guy's cell phone starts buzzing, and they have a conversation with you, and, and they start looking at your cell phone. And then when they're done with a cell phone, then they go back to talking to you. I, I wouldn't call that very respectful. I, I've been in meetings. Rabbi, I'm very sorry. I just have to. And scrolling and scrolling through his messages, Rabbi, I'm very sorry. No, you're not sorry. If you were sorry, you wouldn't answer the phone. Free is the person who doesn't have to pick up his phone. Right? We're, we're, but that's flubbing. That's like a really a great word. Uh, of, of, What's the uh, shorish of flubbing? What's the etymology? 
P-H-L-U-B. I think they made it up. Yeah. Could we throw up my poster with two minutes left to go? Dwayne, you have it? It's up. Okay. This letter, this week's letter is nun. The letter nun happens to be the, the numerical value of a nun is 50, which is very apropos right now because we just talked about that from Passover to the Shavuot holiday is actually 50 days. And not to leave anybody without a word, there's two great words with nun. One is ner, which is a candle. And I had a story, but don't got no time for that story. Yes. And the shum is the soul. But and and a and a candle, by the way, according to the verse, is representative of the soul of a person. There are people that don't like to blow out candles, certainly um, after the Sabbath, because it's almost like blowing out a soul. So that whole idea, um, it's just like a bad sign, sort of. So I gave you your letter is none. You can look, scroll and look at that at that letter. It's a very simple looking letter. It's like a short C. And my music is coming on. And when my music comes on, it means that it's time to wrap up. So first of all, Rob, I'd like to thank you. I'd like to thank our wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do without you. Small group today. I have Ashley. I have Drew. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it. I'm not sure if you're